Hello and welcome to 444 Fantasy Football's Most Accurate Podcast. I'm your host, John Paulson, and this is uh, the sixth in a series of bonus 2017 draft strategy episodes of the podcast. Uh, today I'm joined by Mike Clay. Uh, you'll recognize that name uh, from ESPN.com. Before that, he was with uh, Pro Football Focus Fantasy. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Mike Clay NFL. He has 98,000 Twitter followers, so hopefully we can get you over a thousand. I assume they're all fake. <laughs> they're probably Rus- R- Russian bots. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming on, Mike. Yeah. No, uh, it's good to be here. You know, I I don't know if you and I you and I have ever really done much podcasting before. We just see each other every couple of years at a FSTA conference. So uh, yeah, it's good to talk. Yeah. Uh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, I've been doing these pods. Uh, as a special bonus part of our, our podcast series to to have some of my favorite analysts on, the smartest people I know, uh, best projections, rankings out there. Uh, you're definitely in that conversation, Mike. So thanks for coming on for that reason. And I want to know, uh, based on what you're seeing in your drafts and your mocks or your uh, MFL 10s or whatever you're doing to, to prep for uh, the fantasy season, what you're, what you're seeing uh, that uh, you think that the, the listeners out there should know. Yeah, uh, I've done obviously I've done some NFL tens, lots of mocks, couple drafts getting rolling now. Um, so you know pretty much the same old. I, I do the projections at ESPN, so I'm always tuning that kind of thing and, and studying uh, anything I can to, to make those better. But that's always my starting point, the projections, and then uh, you know once once drafts roll around, you just try and get inside everybody else's head, figure out when you can uh, land your best values throughout the draft. Um, you know it's. Not, you know, it's not too much more complicated, I suppose, than that. You know, we do the same kind of thing every year and and uh, try and try and get a little lucky. You know, it's it's always it's always toughy or tough when you look at like you're in round two and you're looking at Howard, Ajayi, Fournette, and you know, like one or two of those guys are gonna either get hurt or one's gonna be a bust or something. But you know, you, you gotta you gotta take the shot on one of them. So like those are three guys I like a lot. And it's hard to look at it and think think ahead four or five months and know that they're they're not going to pan out. You know, some <laughs> somebody's not going to pan out there. It's just a matter of finding out which one it is. Yeah, and they look so good right now as a group. Uh, you you would think that they're all pretty safe, but bust rates tell us <laughs> tell a different story. Uh, usually it's injury, but sometimes it's just ineffectiveness on some of those players. Uh, are you noticing a drop off uh, in terms of maybe getting into? For me, it's the third round, uh, middle of that third round, early third round, where I'm sitting there and I'm like, I don't know, I want to take any of these guys as in the third round. Um, are you noticing anything like that in your drafts? Yeah, I mean, I, I think today uh, we did we did a mock today with the staff, and it was like, it, what was a ten teamer? So yeah, I guess it was like round four when I started. Mm-hmm. That. Yeah, but I, I hear you. I mean. I see a couple tiers here, a quarterback, pretty much, you know, Rogers, Brady, Breeze, and then like Ryan and Luck, I, I kind of keep an eye on where they're falling. After that, I see a drop off at running back. I think it's 11 or 12, you know, depending on how you feel about Lynch. That's kind of where I start to feel less comfortable. I know a lot of people like Lamar Miller. I'm not really too fond at this point, especially after how inefficient he was last year. And then, uh, you know, we, we know the, how the wide receiver setup. I mean, you got the big three there. And then you have like Green, Nelson, Evans, Hilton, I suppose, Thomas. And then it starts to get shaky. Like, do you really want Doug Baldwin as your one? You know, I, I, I like Doug Baldwin. I think he's terrific, but he just makes you a little uncomfortable as you're the guy you're leaning that position on. Uh, and then really Gronk at tight end. So, yeah, I mean, once you get past that spot, there's a lot of, a lot of question marks. 
All right, so why, why don't we just go position by position? I have your ranks ranks up here, and prior to the podcast, I kind of looked through them, and I'm going to throw out some names, uh, maybe where uh, we differ a little bit uh, in terms of the players. So I want to hear your take, uh, maybe why you're a little bit low or a little bit high on, on some of these players. So let's start with the quarterback position. Um, for me, I see three guys I like, <laughs> Rodgers, Brady, and Breeze, and then I think from four through – 17, I could really see any of that group finishing in the top 10, top 12. Uh, it's just a weird year for, for quarterback where it's uh, super deep, but not, but there's also a drop off there, I think, after Breeze. So, um, you have Mar- Marcus Mariota at 15. You have Andy Dalton at 17. I have Mariota in my top five. I have Dalton at uh, 11 or 10 or 11 right now. So, uh, maybe talk a little bit about those two players and why maybe you're a little bit down on them. Yeah, I wouldn't say I'm down on Dalton. He's one of my favorite targets, especially if I wait at the position. Um, I think that's just just I think it's fair to to put him as a uh, mid to front end uh, quarterback too. That said, I mean, like I said before, you got the Brady Rogers Brady Breeze, and then I'd say Ryan and Luck, and then after that, you know, I think a lot of guys are very close. I've I've talked a lot about this, you know, from from Wilson Cam down to that that Dalton area, Rivers, Mariota. I think those guys can all be flip-flopped a a variety of different ways. So once the top five's off the board, I'm happy to wait and take what's left from that group. So I wouldn't argue with you too much uh, if you wanted to go a little higher on Dalton. Mariota, that surprises me. Five uh, five is is a lot to ask, I think. Uh, You know, it's a a run-heavy offense. They they did a pretty good job scoring the football last year. They added weapons fine. But he also has not been super efficient so far. I mean, he's not afraid to go deep, but he's not completing passes at a high enough rate. He hasn't been consistent. He just, he tore it up in in that, what was it, six-week stretch, the middle of last season, against one of the easiest fantasy schedules I've seen in, in some time. But at the beginning of the season and at the end, he was not nearly as effective. So I I think, I, I suppose for me, the jury's not out yet on him. I just don't know how good he is. I think we're going to find out a lot about him. Like we're going to find out a lot about Carson Wentz this year, probably a little more about Derek Carr as well, but I'm not willing to go that far. And by the way, he, we want him to add points with his legs. He hasn't done that yet. Really? I mean, he is at about what, 200 some yards rushing each year. We got I got to see more in that regard from Mariota. I do like that. They added, uh, they invested heavily in the passing game with, uh, Eric Decker and Corey Davis. Uh, that's nice. I think that's, that's one of the reasons I like him. Uh, his per game averages are, are, are really pretty good. They're top 10, top eight. Uh, when he's playing, he has a, had an issue staying healthy, but I, like I said, I think there's a drop off after those first three or four guys. And then, uh, we get into it where you could really argue. <laughs> for days about uh, some of these quarterbacks that are going late, but I'd like that you uh, you target uh, Dalton. He's been going eleventh, uh, twelfth round uh, and twelve teamers, and he's one of my primary targets along with uh, Tyrod Taylor uh, at that range in the draft. If you're waiting on quarterback, so um, let's talk about a couple of players that you like uh, seem to like a little bit more than I do. Uh, Kirk Cousins, Matthew Stafford. I totally get the argument on both players. I think they both finish in the top ten. Back-to-back seasons. Uh, Cousins, I'm a little bit worried about uh, the turnover at receiver. Um, maybe the, 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 the situation with the franchise is a little bit of a distraction, but he should have a good year. I have him ranked fairly high, just not as high as eight. And then Stafford, uh, I think he's one of the better values uh, given his ADP. Um, what's, what's your case for both, both of these guys? Yeah, St- uh, Stafford, I mean, he's he's been doing it for years now. I mean, how many of the past f- five, six years has he been a, a top 12 fantasy uh, quarterback? So maybe more going with the high floor with him, more more so than the ceiling. But, you know, that's about where I think he belongs, again, in this conversation of guys that are 
that are all very close. And then um, what was the other one? Cousins. Yeah, Kirk Cousins. Yeah, yeah, Cousins again. Past two years, uh, top ten fantasy uh, fantasy quarterback. Depending on your format, I, I know a lot has been made about Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garcon. You know, moving on from them, what that means for this offense. But I don't see a downgrade. I, I'm a I'm a believer in Charles Pryor. I, I believe you are as well. I'm sure we'll talk about that. But he's he, he's a terrific athlete. He's still converting from quarterback or in that transition. I think you know we may have not have seen his best work yet. Jamison Crowder should take on a slightly harder, uh, uh, higher target share. He's a good player. And then, um, of course, Josh Doxson, you know, the guy was so good at TCU. He killed the combine. Three of his five targets last year out of the gate were in the end zone, which is really an area they struggle to, to convert uh, scoring chances into touchdowns, which is why Dustin Hopkins led the NFL in field goal attempts last year. That's just, the, you know, they, they got down the field often, but they could not finish off drives. And if that changes, you know, Cousins can go nuts as, as well as the rest of this offense. So, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that Redskins passing game. Honestly, I think they have an underrated defense and are a nice sleeper team overall this year. Yeah, just to, to circle back to Stafford, he's got uh, five top ten finishes in the last six years. So he's always one that's drafted later uh, than he probably should be, and he ends up in the top ten. Uh, you know, you make a good case for Cousins. Uh, Dotson, they were talking about him prior to the injury last year as being a big red zone threat for them. Uh, and you, you mentioned the, uh, the red zone targets immediately out of the gate. Uh, so let's move on to, uh, uh, the running back position. Uh, I noticed you have Marshawn Lynch at 12. What's uh, what's the case for Marshawn Lynch at 12? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's going to be anything crazy here. I mean, you, you have a, the best offensive line he's probably ever been behind. He's a, a terrific talent. Uh, I've, I've written quite a bit about him this off season. I think, you know, even, even his final year, you look a little deeper at the efficiency him eluding tacklers pr- producing after contact. He did fine in Seattle, uh, but he was beat up. He missed time. We know that. And, and the yards per carry suffered a bit, but you go to Oakland. I mean, I don't think that's going to be a problem. He's going to have lanes to run through. It's a good passing game that should help open up, uh, some, some guys in the, you know, get guys out of the box in, in that offense. They're going to score a lot of points. He should get work at the goal line. I know there's some concerns out of the gate. You know, are they going to save him a little bit, get DeAndre Washington in there, Jalen Rashard, maybe Elijah Hood? You know, that's a slight concern, I suppose, but I don't think that keeps him anywhere below, you know, 15 touches a game. You know, maybe not 25 carries, but if he gets 15, 16, 17 touches a game, something like that in this offense, I see double-digit touchdowns easily. So, yeah, I, I, I like him a lot. I'm, I'll gladly take him where he's going in the fourth. Yeah, I think my concern with them is uh, just age and uh, injury. Uh, but the, you make a you make a great case there. The offensive line is fantastic, uh, and you could also draft him and very cheaply get his handcuff, which I think is DeAndre Washington. Although I saw uh, that they listed Jalen uh, Richard ahead of Washington on the, the, the depth chart. I, I think that's maybe a third down back situation there. Washington's been getting most of the second team touches i believe uh but washington is a very cheap handcuff he's going 14th round uh but you might pull the trigger on him in the 12th or 13th if you if you grab lynch uh i think it's a wise move given his given his age uh, there's another uh player i wanted to ask you about these are these are ppr ranks mike's uh, ppr ranks by the way uh mark ingram at 18 uh are you worried at all about uh, adrian peterson um or Ingram learning, uh, losing some of that third down work to, to camera. Yeah, you know it's funny. I I keep trying to move Ingram down, <laughs> so everybody. What I keep taking touches away from him, and it doesn't matter. Like he still hangs in there. It's kind of like Ty Montgomery as well in, in PPR. You know, and Christian McCaffrey as well. You don't need 
250, 300 carries these days to give you to get RB two numbers in PPR. I mean, look at Bilal Powell last last year. He was a backup for a huge chunk of the season. Forte gets hurt, and then he only missed a couple of games. He came back essentially as the backup. Uh, but Powell still ended up as a top 20 PPR running back. It, it's it's incredible. So, um, you know, it's just a new era with teams running so much shotgun throwing so often that Ingram I have at 164 carries and 41 catches, so around 200 touches, and that's enough for him to get seven, eight touchdowns in this insanely high-scoring Saints offense and, and give you a top 20 season. So, yeah, it's just he's one of those guys, you know. Sometimes rank project, doing the projections forces you to take a closer look at a player, and I just can't seem to get around – how he's not going to still get the 200 some touches and, and produce at that level. It's just it's just a such a high scoring offense. But but yeah, I mean to answer your question, yeah, I, I do think Peterson could get 200 carries alone and, and lead this backfield. I'm a little bit worried about that. If that does happen, maybe Ingram doesn't get there. But I, I do think he's good enough and plays enough of a role in passing downs that he's working more on that in in camp. You know, he, I, at first I thought Alvin Kamara would be maybe be that guy like Travaris Cadet was last year and, and catch 40, 50 footballs quite possibly on obvious passing situations. And, and I still think that's possible, but Ingram seems like he's going to be out there quite a bit when they're throwing. Yeah. Ingram has looked good in camp uh, as a receiver. And I think, you know, 40, 45 catches is uh, a fair, definitely a fair, I have him at 44. So that's a, that's a fair projection. Definitely. Uh, let's move on to a couple of players that maybe you're a little bit low on. Um, I'd like to to hear your thoughts on the New England backfield. Uh, Mike Gillisley, you have at number uh, twenty nine. So you think that's low? Am I too low on Gillisley? Yeah, I feel I feel like it's a little bit low. What, what okay. do you? you <laughs> yeah, you well, obviously think it's fair. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think it's fine. I mean, listen, I, I get it. He, it's in the Patriots' offense. He's in the blunt role. He could score ten touchdowns certainly in in that role. But you know, they're already talking about wanting wanting to pound it with Rex Burkhead and he's getting a lot of work and Bill Belichick handpicked him and all this fun stuff. Um I I'm more prone to take Burkhead late, you know, throw that dart. I, I understand you could take both if you wanted to, but uh I think there's there's safer picks in the offense. You know, I I don't think he's gonna be out there a ton in passing situations either. So, you know, there there's a real chance he catches twelve footballs in the entire season and is sharing some goal line work with Burkhead. So I I think we're drafting him sort of at his ceiling. You know, I, I guess sixth round isn't too bad. Maybe he ends up with a fourth round value, something like that is possible. But uh, I just think there's a lot of guys kind of in that mix that, that you're you're better off with, frankly. Abdullah, Theo Riddick and PPR, Gore, Mixon, you know, Lacey. Uh, you know, I'm fine with those guys. Yeah, you know, you never know with the, with the Patriots running game um, what's going to happen. And I, I definitely agree that his – He's a risky pick if you go go with him in the f- fifth round, um, but sixth is eight. He'd be in the sixth. I think that's pretty pretty fair given his upside as a t- touchdown score. And he had a he had a good first day at camp. I think he's been dealing with a, an injury and hasn't been in, and that might be why Rex Burkett was getting those goal lines. It's hard to tell right now with uh, with with him on the sideline. Uh, the other guy I think is low in your rankings, but that's okay. That's your your rankings, Mike. You could do whatever you want with them. Uh, Spencer Ware at thirty. Do you are you are you worried about his workload with the rookie there? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I Adam Teichu, who covers the Chiefs for ESPN, was on my show about a month ago, and he actually predicted not only would Hunt lead that backfield in catches, he would lead it in carries too, which he admits is is a bold take, but uh, it I think it's a reasonable possible outcome. In this backfield, uh, you know, Hunt is, to me, I get so excited because I liked him coming into the draft. Uh, everything he could do, how elusive he is, he can contribute as a, on passing downs, as a runner, potential three down back. And you think about 
other backs in this Andy Reid offense and, and how valuable they always are in, in fantasy, whether it's LaShawn McCoy, Jamal Charles, Brian Westbrook, back in the early days, Deuce Staley, you know, and, and even if a guy was hurt and out for a week or two, you know, Sharkandrick West, Niall Davis, Carell Buckhalter, whoever it was, was at the very minimum a running back too. We always love these guys. They always have value because uh, he gets them the football in, in a variety of ways, and they always score a ton of touchdowns too. So, yeah, I and, and it sounds like I'm talking up where essentially because he's the lead guy here, but I just feel like he, I feel like Wes is a, a little bit of a better fit and, and uh, certainly a viable threat to where throughout this season. So that being the case, I, I don't think where is going to get enough volume to, to live up to his ADP. Okay. So I want to ask you about the Tampa Bay running back situation. We have uh, Doug Martin, um, you know, for the AT- OTAs having a, a great uh, stretch of uh, uh, blurbs uh, from the GM, from the coaches saying that he's back. He's looking like his old self. Um, Jaquiz Rogers is likely to start first three weeks uh, as the main back. Uh, Charles Sims is there. Uh, so how do you see this playing out? Do you think uh, immediately when, when Martin comes back, he's, he's the starter or is, is this going to be kind of a fuzzy situation week four? Yeah, it's kind of weird because he wasn't that good last year either. And in fact, his only good years have been his rookie year and his contract year. So I, I, I'm not sure. I, I, listen, I'm not going to take him in the sixth round, which is where he's going to end MFL 10s. It's crazy to me. Uh, we're not talking about Le'Veon Bell missing three games here. We're talking about a guy coming off a really poor year who's not guaranteed the starting job. I mean, he was losing it before he even was suspended last year. He was already losing his, his hold on that job, and, and now we're investing round six picks. So it's possible. You know, maybe all reports are positive on it. Maybe he comes back. He takes it over, and, and the first game back, he's getting 20 carries. It's possible, but uh, I, I think that's too much to count on. That's more of a guy I'd think about in the double-digit rounds, not in the sixth. Yeah, what do you think of Rodgers as, a, as a, like an attrition play, uh, 14th, 15th round, or wherever he's gone? Uh, who's that, Rodgers? Uh, Jaquiz Rodgers, yeah. Jaquiz Rodgers, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with that. He's going into 15th, which is, which is way too late for me. I mean, I, I have him sitting at 46, which, you know, that, that's enough for him to go earlier than 15, I suppose. But um, I, I just don't – the guy last year set a career high in carries. And I, I don't know if he's ever going to see too many more than that. I think even if he maintains, we'll say, the, you know, the starting gig in week four – you know, I think Martin's still certainly going to be involved. He's going to get his shot. Charles Sims is going to be there on passing downs. Uh, you know, everybody wants wants Jeremy McNichols to be the next the next superstar in in Tampa Bay. So there's a lot of a mouse to feed there. Uh, but but obviously, I mean, once you get to the double digit rounds, if you can get a three week starter at, at running back, obviously you, you take that. So speaking of the double digit rounds, are there any you know, zero running backs a popular strategy now? Are there are there some guys you're targeting? Uh, late in the draft that you're, you know, banking on them getting some starts uh, throughout the year? Um, I, I, I suppose. I mean, ideal guys would be like Samaj P. Ryan, but he's going too early. Like he's going before Rob Kelly, which is just ridiculous. So I'm looking for backups who are cheap. So Rex Burkhead, I mentioned earlier in New England, Thomas Rawls in the 13th round. I mean, I'm, I like Lacey, but, I'm, you know, I'm happy to take Rawls as the fallback option late. Uh, Jamal Williams in Green Bay could still be had pretty late. I'm not, I wasn't a big fan of him, him in the draft process, but you know, we have to sometimes sit there and accept that, you know, it, it is a lottery for the teams and for us. We don't, we don't know. So if we see a team take a guy as the, as their, you know, the top running back drafted for them in the draft, and then they say, yeah, he's our two. He looks good in pass protection. 
He's going to, as Rob Domofsky told me, he's going to mix in like James Starks did every couple series. You know, he obviously is shaping up as the handcuff to Ty Montgomery, who played well last year, but we, we haven't seen him over a long span. We don't know uh, how just how good he is at this pro level. We've been teased before like this, so a trick like this before. So maybe Jamal Williams at some point this season is the lead back. So, you know, obviously we need to accept that and, and uh, value him as a, as a valuable handcuff. Uh, Darren McFadden in Dallas, obviously the needle's moving on him now with, with Zeke facing a potential suspension. So those kind of guys, Dante Foreman, Jonathan Williams, James Conner in Pittsburgh, if he gets healthy and back out there. And I'll tell you what, I'll give you one more, John. This one really surprises me because you think about, if, if I start explaining this, you're going to, you someone should pop in your head. It's a fourth round pick, uh, a running back picked in the fourth round this year. There's some questions that in the starting job with this team, in the backfield, you know, we, we don't know how, how they feel about him, if he's good enough, and that probably should make you register as, as Joe Williams, right? I mean, that, that's a guy everybody wants. They want to take. He's going to be the starter in San Fran. Well, what about another fourth-rounder, fourth, fourth rounder, Wayne Gallman, for the Giants? I mean, they, have a, they actually do have a questionable running back situation. This guy was actually picked before or earlier in the draft than Paul Perkins was, and he did not play very well last year. So, uh, I, again, Gallman, not a guy I loved in the draft process, but talk about sitting pretty in this backfield. If Perkins flames out, he's the next man up. Yeah, and I think we probably both agree that Carlos Hyde's better than Paul Perkins, or at least what we've seen of him. So uh, that's a that's a good point there. Uh, let's move on to the uh, receiver position. I noticed you're a little bit low uh, relative to ADP um, on uh, Tyreek Hill and Martavis Bryant. Uh, these are two of the more uh, divisive uh picks uh receiver picks this year and i just would like to get your take on those guys yeah i mean i am i am i low i mean that's a tyreek going in the fourth round i mean that, that's it's about right i think it's a little and, bit it's a little bit low so i i have him high i guess this is not not so much against adp but i have him in the team i have him in the teens you got uh adp is 23 off the board you have him at 27 so maybe a, a tad low on him okay yeah yeah he'll i mean Obviously, he's going to score fewer touchdowns on a per-touch basis. I think that's pretty safe to say. Uh, he's the first player since 2013 to have more than two return touchdowns in a season, and I, I you know, it's hard to count on anyone uh, registering that in back-to-back season. So you would expect him to, you know, maybe one or two return scores, and uh, receiving and rushing, he should come back to earth there as well. Just a very unsustainable rate. Now, I'm sure, certainly that'll be made up a bit by more volume, more targets. I don't know that he'll see more carries, but certainly more. Uh, targets in the passing game, but is I, I just worry about the, his ceiling with with the lack of scoring upside. I, I just don't think he's going to be able to match that. And then you put him up against Devonte Adams and uh, you know Larry Fitzgerald, Golden Tate, Jarvis Landry, guys who we know can handle these these high var, uh, target uh, workloads. They may not be the biggest touchdown guys, but is Hill that good? We I, I don't th- we haven't seen it yet, so I, th- I think it makes him a little riskier. And then Bryant. I'm more worried about him not being reinstated yet. I mean, I think it, I think if you look at my uh, projections, actually, he comes out a lot higher in standard. He kind of we just know how he's used. He's a deep threat. He scores a lot of touchdowns. Not going to catch a ton of passes, so it knocks him down a little bit in uh, PPR formats. But uh, standard, I mean, you're talking. Uh, I think a pretty good wide receiver too once he's reinstated. Yeah, I have him at uh, 30 as well in PPR, but he jumps uh, into the teens in standard uh, as you. And we probably have similar processes when doing our uh, projections. Uh, all right, I want to ask you about the the Tennessee receivers: Eric Decker, Corey Davis, Rashard Matthews. Is a, is someone trying to project these guys? How do you uh, determine who you, who the number one receiver is, and and how do you divvy up the targets? 
Uh, yeah, it, it is tough. I mean, I, I'll say I think we got helped a little bit this week by – well, maybe maybe helped and then hurt again uh, when Corey Davis was kind of labeled the split end and then Decker and Matthews competing for – uh, the flanker job, and then, of course, Decker moves to the slot in three wide sets. So that helps set it up a little bit, makes you feel more confident about Davis potentially leading this team in targets or, or downfield production potentially. Uh, however, like I said, we kind of backfired then because he got injured, so who knows what kind of progress he's going to make. I'll tell you what, though. I look back at uh, the history of number one wide receivers or, or the guys that were picked in the top ten and it's it's kind of overwhelming, you know. You you look at these guys. Oh, and and just going back to 2007, there was five of them picked in the top. Actually, it's the top five. Excuse me, not the top ten. Five guys picked in the top five since 07. AJ Green finished 17th in PPR that first season. Amari Cooper 21, Sammy Watkins 27, Justin Blackman 29, Calvin Johnson 37. So that's that's pretty good. I mean, he and Corey Davis joins that club now. Uh, so if 37 is is worst case scenario, and that's been the case. So far, again, over the past decade, uh, that, that's a pretty good sign. So I, it, it's history does suggest these guys picked early will play a lot. That makes me feel a little bit more comfortable. But you just think about this run-heavy offense. I talked about it with Mariota before, run-heavy offense. And they, they have to get it to Decker. He's an underrated, very talented player. Rashard Matthews led the team in targets last year. He's underrated. He's very good. And Delaney Walker uh, in the backfield as well, not to mention DeMarco Murray may catch 40-some footballs again. So it's a lot of, a lot of mouths to feed in, in an offense that might not have a lot of passing volume. Okay, moving on to the tight end position, uh, you have Travis Kelsey at a, at a fair ranking, number four. I have him in number one in PPR formats. I think he's uh, he's going to see a, a ton of targets there with Jeremy Macklin gone. Um, the quality of the receiving core has dropped uh, with Macklin leaving. So what's your take on Kelsey? Do you think it's uh, – the the uh, running red zone situation, he's not getting as many targets as, as some of these other tight ends that are that are going that early. Is that your concern with him? Well, I, I mean, most he, he put up the most fantasy points by uh, – or, wait, I'm going to say this wrong. He was the lowest scoring number one fantasy tight end of the past decade. There it is. Uh, you know, it was just really a down year at the spot. And I, I don't think he has quite the ceiling of some other guys, you know, especially Gronk and Reed for sure. Uh, you know, I mean, he was, he was six and eight, his first two years is where he finished, jumped up to one again with, with some help. And, and really his, his production did not change much. And in fact, it was a career low in touchdowns for him with four granted his, his receptions and yardage were up quite a bit, but even his post catch production was identical to 2014 and 15. A lot of times you hear that that's why he took that next step, but it really wasn't. He was already uh, set up in that in very much like Brent Selleck was Brent Selleck was always a guy that caught the ball in the short area and then took it uh, took it a long way, did a lot of his damage after the catch. It's just a part of Andy Reid's offense. Uh, so, you know, I'm a little worried about that. You know, he's used underneath so often, forced to do put a lot on his shoulders, doesn't score touchdowns. I'm just aiming, I suppose I'm aiming higher at the position. I know he feels safer, and, and maybe he is a safe target in round three or so. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. We uh, You get in trouble when you call guys safe, I suppose. <laughs> it seems to bite us all the time. So I would just ask you a question about Rob Gorkowski uh, as a fellow projector of, of stats. Uh, how do you deal with his injury history? Do you uh, are you trying to be agnostic with it and uh, you know project him for sixteen games, or do you project him for fourteen based on uh, a long injury history? Yeah, I actually do have him at I believe I have him at fourteen. But I will say this: I mean, he he played in eight games last year. Granted, some of them he wasn't full strength, but. Each of the previous two years, he played 15 games. And, and again, the years before that, he missed more time. But it's not like this guy has been, you know, like uh, uh, 
Keenan Allen even, you know, like he's actually, he actually missed a grand total of two games in 14 and 15. So it would not surprise me at all if he came back and played 14, 15, maybe even 16 games this season. And when he is out there, he's obviously been, uh, been, 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 uh, been pretty terrific. I mean, he was a top 10 fantasy tight end in half of his appearances last year. And again, some of them games, he was just a decoy or barely playing. It just, he wasn't all there. So, uh, yeah, I just, I see him as a player who, if you can get him at the end of round two, when you're you're starting to get into that dead zone of, of players we talked about, he is a guy that can win you a league. I mean, think about how many players you'd feel super pumped to have in your lineup every week when you're setting your lineup when they're healthy, and he's he's certainly on that short list. All right, so a little bit more uh, uh, deeper into the tight end position, uh, I I see about twelve or thirteen guys I'd be comfortable starting, relatively comfortable starting. I'm down to Jack Doyle, uh, looking at MFL ten ADP. Um, you know, then you get into Kobe Fleener and Austin Hooper and you have Austin Hooper at 14. So that's a totally uh, normal ranking for his current ADP. What do you see in him? I am, I'm a bit low on him. Um, what do you see in, what do you see in Hooper? You think you have some upside there with Matt Ryan? Yeah. You know what? I actually have Henry and Hooper back to back 13 and 14 and, uh, seven fantasy points apart and they're going four rounds apart. So that tells mm-hmm. you how often I'm going to have Hunter Henry this year. It's not going right. to be very much, uh, both guys in their second year. Yes. Henry looked good. Uh, he caught some touchdowns last year, uh, quite a few touchdowns last year, but he was still barely, what, 19th in, in PPR scoring at the position. Hooper, meanwhile, you know, he, again, he played well, too. He was quieter, but he played well behind Jacob Tammy. He blocked well. Uh, this this tight end group scored 10 touchdowns last year, and now Tammy's, Tammy's gone. Hooper, it's, it's going according to plan. He was a third-round pick. He should be the every-down guy now, has a ton of talent. And this offense easily led the NFL in touchdowns last year. Even if that comes back to earth, he's positioned to potentially score seven, eight touchdowns and see a a pretty fair target share. So, yeah, I like him a lot. And, again, he comes a lot cheaper than these other guys. Yeah, one of the things, the side note of the uh, rookie tight end struggles, uh, long historic struggles of the uh, rookies at the position, is that you have to be patient with some of these guys. uh, Year two or three is when they start to assert themselves as fantasy assets. Uh, I see that you are uh, sensible about your Tampa Bay tight end ranking. I wanted to ask you about Cameron Braid, O.J. Howard. How do you think that uh, plays out during the year? Yeah, I think the way it's going to work out is going in, O.J. Howard will probably be the second tight end and, and blocking. You know, obviously, he'll get a few targets. They're probably going to have a few plays for him. Uh, but Braid, I mean, Braid was terrific last year. He can't block, but the guy is a terrific pass catcher. I don't see why you would change much in that regard. Take one of your, your better receiving assets off the field and historically there's no way around it really these rookie guy these rookie tight ends it doesn't matter the level of pedigree you can look back at the past decade which i did a first round tight ends these guys were were like howard and njoku and ingram these were the the next big thing at tight end they were terrific athletes receivers they were going to come in kill it in fantasy and light up the score they they don't it doesn't matter and you can go into other rounds too you know it's extremely rare for a rookie tight end at least early on in the season to make much of an impact. Now, are, are these by low potential guy, you know, guys in the middle of the season, you know, maybe Howard and Joe Ingram, maybe at that, at that point, they turn the corner, start seeing more consistent targets. Absolutely. We've seen that Greg Olson being a, a fine example of that. Uh, Ebron as well at, at times was seeing about five, six targets a game. So that's fine, but it's not going to happen earlier on. So why waste a draft pick on a player like that? These are great points. And uh, the thing with the rookies this year, I think Evan Edgar will play, I don't know how productive he'll be, but he should be on the field. I think in Joku as well. The, the, that's the thing I'm concerned about with Howard is that he's actually 
he's dealing with Cameron Brait, uh, somebody who was very, very productive last year, spent some, some time in the top 10, uh, during yeah, the season. Yeah. So, so it's a, it's, that's a concern for those other guys. Although as you look into the second half of the season, they may become streaming options if they're, if they're starting to produce. Yeah. I'll say, I'll say this though. I mean, you look back even at the, you know, it might be easy to say, okay, Cam Brait's there. So that's a problem for, uh, Howard, but you only have Red Ellison and you only have Seth DeValve, but Again, historically, it has not been good tight ends keeping these guys off the field. I mean, right. uh, you know, it, it was Pettigrew, Eifert, Ebron, guys like that, uh, Dustin Keller, Greg Olson. Those were the guys out there, and it was Reggie Kelly, Chase Kaufman, Chris Baker, Casey Fitzsimmons, Dan Gronkowski, John Gilmore, Desmond Clark. These were the guys, Orson Charles, these were the guys that were keeping these supposed st- superstars on the sideline and, and taking volumes away. And, and I'm talking, you add, all, add them all up, it's hundreds of targets they were not getting. So uh, I think, you know, just it's an underrated asset just being a veteran in the NFL at the tight end position. All right. So to wrap things up, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to, to plug any other uh, sleepers that you might have. I understand that uh, with, with all these early drafts, we start ending up with a high number of shares of certain players. Are you noticing that you're ending up with some, some people you're kind of surprised that you have uh, in these drafts, or is it, is it pretty much going towards the rankings? Yeah, well, we mentioned some of uh, certainly my a lot of my sleepers, which makes sense because you were looking for guys I was high on. Uh, so we covered a few uh, guys. I'm getting a lot. I think Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, I, I, he seems like again not not to. I hate to jinx the the whole being a safe pick sort of thing, but he feels like kind of a safe pick there, and you know, as, as a as a mid pack wide receiver too. So I like him in the Denver offense. Massive target share. I love volume. So I'm fine with him. Um, and Kelvin Benjamin's a guy I've kind of been pumping up a lot because his schedule is just overwhelmingly easy. The the Panthers offense is just set up for a big year, and Benjamin has the easiest schedule for a number one wide receiver. And if you look at shadow situation, potential shadow situations, cornerback groups, it is crazy light. Uh, I think he 12 of his 15 games, if we exclude week 17, 12 of his 15 games are against a cornerback unit I've ranked 19th or worse, which is which is just incredible. Very few, again, very few shadow scenarios as well so i like him a lot uh, by the way same division julio jones kind of same thing so you know maybe that helps you move the needle like, over zeke elliott for example maybe maybe it does maybe it doesn't but uh he's set up with a very similar uh easy schedule and uh so uh, yeah i would say um benjamin's a guy i'm targeting quite a bit so one other question since it just happened jay cutler to miami what do you what is what does that mean for jarvis landry Devontae parker kenny stills how do you see that playing out I don't think it does much. I mean, we saw them move to a run-heavy, low-volume offense last year. They were the fourth run-heaviest team in the league. They were dead last in plays per game. Uh, they wanted they wanted Ryan Tannehill just to hand the ball off, move the chains, throw short passes, which he did very low in average depth of target, average depth of throw, um, and don't turn it over. But he still did that. He still struggled with turnovers. So that sounds like uh, a lot of what Jay Cutler can do. You know, he he didn't. You know, here's some short routes, throw it to Landry and, and Thomas and, and whatever, maybe chuck a few to Devontae Parker. Uh, you're going to turn it over a few times, whatever, but we mostly want you handing it off. So I don't I don't think it changes too much for the offense. But I, I, will, I will say this, a couple of years ago, the year that Marshall and Jeffrey and Cutler were together, it was, it was 2014, the year before uh, Geese got there. Uh, both Jeffrey and Marshall were were top five in the NFL in end zone targets. I mean, Cutler, I, I remember writing about that, talking about that a lot. He was force feeding his guys the ball near the goal line. In fact, I believe the next year Jeffrey missed half the season and was still like seventh in end zone targets. It was just ridiculous. So maybe that's something that we could pull from this. Maybe they get to the goal line and he just 
doesn't even look at Landry. He just throws it up to Parker. I mean, that that's about it. That, otherwise, it's really hard to read too into the too far into this now. But I, I thought that was kind of notable. Yeah, I didn't move my projections much either. I looked at uh, Cutler 2015 versus Tannehill last year. They're very similar numbers, so uh, I don't think it's a huge downgrade for anybody. Or uh, just just in the aside from the fact that they have to get build chemistry, I think I, I saw an item that Kenny Stills had yet to meet. Um, Jay Cutler, uh, even though they both are <laughs> multiple year veterans in the NFL. So that's that, that kind of stuff. Uh, the chemistry is maybe the, the one thing we might see them struggle early in the season. But I want to thank, uh, Mike Clay for coming on ESPN.com. You can find him on Twitter. Make, uh, put him over a hundred thousand if you're not already following him. I'm at Mike Clay NFL. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, Mike. Anytime, John. Thanks a lot. All right. We'll see you next time on 444's most accurate podcast.